Hello and welcome back to the Knife Hour. I am so excited to have one of our industry lab professionals here in the studio with us today. It's Richard Friedman. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. Hey guys, and welcome to the New York Film Academy Hour. I'm so excited. I'm Joel Monique. I'm here with Richard Friedman. I'm not going to waste a lot of time with intros. You guys need to know Richard Friedman. He is a writer, director, producer, editor, and he's been working in the industry for over three decades. He's worked on everything, including Tales from the Dark Side, Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, which is so cool, Baywatch Nights. He's directed legends like Billy Joel and Aerosmith. Um, he's a 2000 film, Heaven Can't Wait, started young Michelle Trachenberg and Ralph Macchio. And today he's here to talk to us about his latest film, Christmas Eve, and Cracking the Horror Code. Thank you so much for being here, Richard. You're very welcome. It's a pleasure. Awesome. So we always start with the very first same question, and that is, how did you get into movies? Well, it's very interesting. Um, I have always, when I was a kid, I always wanted to be in movies. I think I was born with it. And what happened was, growing up in New York, um, you know, I, I'm an only child, so you're, you're either a doctor, a lawyer, or an accountant. <laughs> so I majored in biology and um, always wanted to go into film. And I uh, applied to medical school because my parents wanted me to. And I, I prayed that I didn't get into medical school. But I got in. Oh, God. Too smart for so, your own good. Well, I got in, and uh, finally I just went to my parents, and I said, you know what? What I really want to do is I want to go to NYU Film School and get my master's, and I don't want to go to medical school. And I never forgot their response, which is, whatever you do, do it well. We're with you. What? That's, so, I hope all of you have parents just as supportive. That's they were really terrific. beautiful. So tell us about the moment that you fell in love with film. Well, I used to run around with a Super 8 camera, and I remember the first film that I ever made, which was a, um, a Super 8 film where I was robbing a bank. <laughs> and it was Sunday morning, and um, we, we had no permit or anything like that for the bank, but it was myself, my friend, and another friend, and uh, they had the camera, and uh, I was directing, and I was also acting in it. So I uh, stood outside the... Uh, the Chase Bank in New York, in Brooklyn, New York, and I ran out on a Sunday morning and um, with a gun in my hand. So something you should not do today, children. Something, something you should not do because the cops pulled up and uh, they pinned me against the car. Oh my gosh, no. I thought, I thought like, oh, no, it was a while ago and nobody really cared and it was fine. I've, I've heard of kids today getting arrested because they have, you know, giant machine guns and stuff on set. They're fake, but you can't tell from far away. So, okay, just never do it, period. <laughs> Goodness. So then what happened? So they pushed me against the car and I said, hey, I'm just making a movie. You know, I'm, oh, wow. I'm sorry. And they were very nice to me. And they said, don't come running out of the bank with a gun. <laughs> and they pulled away. And from that moment on, I knew that uh, movies was my thing because I wasn't arrested. <laughs> was it the excitement of almost being arrested? Were you like, this is thrilling. I got to get back in it. Are you kidding? It was it was great. It's amazing. And I've, I've robbed banks twice in movies since then. <laughs> So how old were you when this was when you were filming oh, your first I, film? I must have been uh, fourteen or so, wow. 13, 14. But I I had started earlier. I was a uh, I, I think I got my first Super Eight camera when, when I was about eight years old. And okay, so you're like a lot of we, we talk a lot about the difference between um, male filmmakers and female filmmakers. Mm-hmm. A lot of female filmmakers come to it much later when they're uh, when someone puts a camera in their hands and they're like, oh, I, I kind of like this process. Where I find a lot of men like you know uh, Spielberg was the same way. Like just had a camera like from birth and was like, we're gonna shoot now. That's really cool. Who saw your first films? Uh, me. <laughs> you didn't show them to anybody. My parents and. Uh... Friends, uh, I mean, but what's really interesting, I still, I found them recently. 
cool. and I still have them. They're a little, they're cracking up and they're falling apart, but they're super eight on the reel and I have them. And one of these days I'm going to actually transfer them and watch them yes. again and show them to my kids. That is so they can get a laugh. That is the best kind of like. Uh, yeah, I listened to my dad's old records the other day. He was a singer back in the eighties, and it's it's just really cool to like hear what your young parents sounded like. Uh-huh. What do you think your kids are going to think of the films? Oh, they're going to say, "Daddy, please." My, my daughter's going to roll her eyes and say, "Give me a break." And she's she's not even seven yet. Oh my god! So tell us what kind of films you were interested in when you were in college. Uh, interested in making? I have always been interested in making thrillers. You know, and not necessarily horror films. The way I got into horror films was kind of a bizarre because I never intended it. I, I decided my last year of uh, of of uh, my master's degree at NYU that I wanted to make um, a, a feature film and not a short film. So I, in my naivete, I said, you know, I'm going to go out and raise half a million dollars oh and make a movie. And um, <clears throat> I was crazy. Now, now the thought of it would be unheard of. But anyway, um, I, I was very committed to it. So I found a story sitting on the uh, D train going into Manhattan from Brooklyn. And it was a story about a medical examiner in Philadelphia who, who destroys his life to give this dead boy the dignity. Now, when you uh, say found, is, are you reading it in a paper? I or found it in the New York you? Post. Oh, that's so great. I love yeah. stories based on real life. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Breaking Bad came about that way. Yeah. She read yeah. it in the paper. I was sitting there. I found it in the post. I went home and I called him up and I said, I want to make your story. And I was about, at the time, I must have been 20, or 20 years old or so. Wow. I said, I want to make your story. And he goes, uh, can you get to Philadelphia? I said, yeah, I'm coming out. He says, let's meet. And I, the next day I went out there and drove to Philadelphia and um, came home with his rights to his story. Incredible. And then I spent a month writing the screenplay, and then I said, okay, I'm going to raise half a million dollars. And um, I spent eight months trying to do it, and I was getting close to the point where I had to put out my thesis film. Yeah. I had to do a thesis film, otherwise I wasn't going to graduate. And uh, I didn't do it. And one night I was sitting really pissed off and throwing away all the pieces of paper that I had gotten. And I found this one little piece of paper that a friend's girlfriend had given me. And she said, call this. And I never did. And I said, should I call it or not? It turns out that it was the producers of the show Shenandoah on Broadway. Oh, and, wow. And, um, and I called her up and she uh, answered the phone. She goes, hello. It's like this older woman. And she, I said, listen, I'm, I'm a student at, at NYU and I want to make a movie. And uh, I'd like to make this movie and I'd like to send you the script. And she said, send it to me. And I sent it to her. And two days later, I got a phone call that said, uh, there's a ticket for you at Kennedy Airport. Come on out and see me. Um, we're going to make your movie. Oh, my God. And I, she gave literally her, her husband, and her boyfriend gave me half a million dollars to make the movie. <laughs> her husband and her boyfriend? Wow. What a trip. Amazing. <laughs> That's how I got started in film. That is uh, quite the splash into the industry. And ironically, the name of the film was Death Mask because when people used to die, the coroner would make a death mask of their face. So Mm -hmm. they had an actual physical representation of their face. And they would make a death mask. And um, so it was called Death Mask, but it was a true story. So people started thinking that, you know, it was a horror film. It opened opened at Cannes and people thought it was a horror film. And uh, I started getting offers to do horror stories and horror movies. I love that. And that's how I got into it, and I was in it for years. Okay, so tell us about 
Tales from the Dark Side. This is one of the TV shows you worked on. Uh, obviously, horror and genre, mm-hmm. you're, you're merging from film to TV, which now is a very fluid process. People go back and forth, actors, directors, doesn't really matter. If, if it's a medium, you can do it. Uh, but back then, you know, not everybody was going kind of back and forth, but you kind of managed to do both simultaneously throughout your career. The thing about my career and what I've done is it's been a very eclectic career because I've I didn't never did just one thing. Mm. I've always done I've done indie films, I've done uh I've done TV, I've done music videos and but never really just focused on one thing. The last 5 years I've been much 5 6 years I've been much more focused on indie films than anything. Um but uh basically I got what happened was uh, I got a phone call from Laurel Entertainment based on having done Death Mask. Mm. And they said you want to come do a show and at the time the shows were they were uh, half an hour shows, really 20 minutes without commercials and bumpers. Um, and they paid directors $1,000 to do them. They, were sh- they shot in a studio in Astoria, Queens in New York. And you go in there for four days and do a show. And it happened that, uh, you know, it was a horror. And um, I did those. And then I went directly from that into this TV series, Friday the 13th. Heck yeah. Which I did a whole bunch of. Um, in Canada, and it was it had absolutely nothing to do with the movie. <laughs> it was actually a better show than the movies were. Whoa, big yeah. words, big words. We had uh, Bart Mastrojoni on here, and Friday the Thirteenth was his introduction to Phil. He loved it. Um, yeah. But I but I understand. Okay, so you're bouncing back and forth between TV and film. I'm curious. Is it was it like these were the opportunities available to you, and you were just excited to make. Uh, like you know whatever kind of came about or was it more of like you know I'm not going to limit myself in what I take I'm just going to willing to try anything it was I would make I would work for whoever would ask me (laughs) I I liked making movies and I liked making tv and it didn't matter whatever came along and that's that's how the horror films came along because they were opportunities I love it okay so our kids are, you know, we have students watching, and they are just beginning their careers. They are just starting to make things. Um, if they are interested in the thriller genre, what films do they need to be watching? What are what are your prime thriller films? Well, I'm a, I'm a film noir guy. Okay, so yes, I, I, I like film. I like I like twisted thrillers. I, I think I think Body Heat is oh, a is a great it's so good is a guys. great thriller. Um, it's actually neo noir. It's not noir because it's 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 a kind of a new wave noir. But you go back and you watch the classics. I mean, you watch uh, Postman Always Rings Twice. Mm. And, you know, even the, all the Hitchcock stuff. Hitchcock was a great influence in me. I mean, I, I, I would watch the Hitchcock half-hour shows, and I'd live for those, and I'd watch all the Hitchcock movies. Rear Window and was one of the first films favorite. I watched that was just, it floored me, and it's... it's Superiority. I was like, I loved movies, but I was like, but this is like cinema. Look, I are like the even just the way she comes into like the room with the three point mm-hmm. lighting, where she just jumps from lamp to lamp to lamp, and it, it's just stunning. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, Rear, Rear Window is probably one of my favorite films of all time. Absolutely. But you know, I, I was never, I, I never claimed to be a big fan of horror. Mm. What I was a big fan of was like twisted thrillers and stuff like that. I, I, liked, I loved Rosemary's Baby. There was a movie theater oh. around the corner from my house. Can I tell you, I just watched that movie like maybe six months ago for the first time and it, it like holds up. I thought it would have been too overhyped by the time I got to it. You know, I had heard everyone, it's just the best horror movie ever. And there's nothing scarier than when she goes into that crib and you can't see what's happening in there. And it, it gets you worked up into such a psychological what state. What have you done to his eyes? I never forgot the line. And you know what's funny about that? 
it's not really a scary movie. No. Most of the movie is not scary. And those are the kind of movies that I like, and that's what I've been making lately. All right. Okay, that's real. That's if you guys want to watch his movies, then now like that just should drive people to your site. Of course, you want to see that. Um, I want to take it back a little bit sure. um, to music videos. Uh, music videos are where a lot of people get started in the industry, uh, especially I think when you're young and you're hanging out with you know um, bands and, and musicians and helping your friends out. How did you get into the music video? Well, it was a different world back then in music videos because if if you made music videos, um, you weren't you weren't just anybody. Mm. You were you were special at the time, and to get to make music videos, you were special. The way I got into it was. Um, um, I had made a few of my own homemade music videos because I wanted to. And through that, I had started calling music video producers. And I befriended this guy by the name of Lenny Groden, who was a music video producer um, for John Small, who was related to Billy Joel. And um, I, had done a, I had done a couple of music videos with him. And then one day he called me up and he said, hey, do you want to do Billy Joel? And I said, no, no, no way. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> no, I said, what are you kidding? <laughs> and um, he said, come on in. He says, uh, I, think, I think you're going to do Billy Joel. So it was a song off of his greatest hits album called You're Only Human, which was, a, uh, which was not one of my favorite Billy Joel songs, but who cared? <laughs> I mean, who really cared? Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, I wrote the concept for it, and what they wanted was they wanted something against teen suicide. Yeah. So we based it on It's a Wonderful Life. And back in those days when you would do music videos, the director that had the best concept would get the video. Copy. I kind of worked in reverse. You know, I, I kind of got, got the video and they said now. And then you had to come up with the concept. Come up okay. with the concept. So I wrote a, something based on It's a Wonderful Life. And that's really what it is. And, and funny enough, when it was done, it won, it won the Presidential Medal of Honor. Wow. For uh, against teen suicide. And Billy Joel actually picked it up himself. So That is incredible. Okay, so now I have a ton of questions. One, what is what's, what was it like working with the great Billy Joel? He's great. He was great. He was so great that, you know, it, it, we shot in Staten Island and we were in a camper and we were mm-hmm. driving to Staten Island and um, we had heard that there was a... He, Billy was at his peak at the time mm. and that there were massive people out there waiting for Billy. And he says, let's stop off and let's get a pad of paper and some cards and index cards. And he said, let me sign him. That way, when I get out, I can hand it, hand him out so everybody will have. And that was, that was Billy. Wow. I mean, he really was a true gem. That's incredible. And I was a huge Billy, Billy Joel fan before. I mean, it was like I had seen him 10 times in Madison Square Garden. And to work with him for me was... I was 20 years old. It was wow. A, and I think as a guy from New York, like Billy Joel kind of was creating the sounds of New York at oh, that totally, time. So, totally. So to put your fingerprint on that and give it visuals. And again, specifically at that time when music videos are just becoming like the new it thing. Like mm-hmm. they, they were, I, I just watched um, a sound documentary about, about what happens when music videos enter the music space and how, Everyone thought MTV was just like a crazy. They flop. changed everything. It was total game changer. It's incredible. So and you started with a legend, um, and you started with a kind of legendary film that has a, a crazy background. It's a Wonderful Life is a movie that opened as a flop, got the rights were not renewed, so then it was on television airing every time around Christmas, and that's how it became a classic. It was just in people's homes. Mm-hmm. What's your relationship with It's a Wonderful Life? 
Well, I had seen the movie, and, and you know, in thinking about it, I said, you know, what would what would work for this against teen suicide? And I said, my God, open it up with a, a teen trying to kill himself, which we did. We opened it up. He's he's jumping off of the 59th Street Bridge. Yeah. We closed the 59th Street Bridge. Wow. <laughs> New Yorkers um, were very happy with you that day. Try doing that now. <laughs> Well, we've actually got a clip of the video. Let's take a look at it really quick. For our auditory listeners, we are seeing the bridge and a giant red stoplight. You know, incredible sense of danger. Wow. So I'm assuming this is a helicopter shot. That was a helicopter. Wow. Now it would, it would be done with a drone. Yes. But it was a helicopter over the bridge. Incredible. We see a picture of him and what I presume is a girlfriend, so maybe love lost. That was Billy's suggestion wow. to uh, play Piano Man. Wow. Another kind of depressing tune. Uh, piano man and kind of a sad uh, loss. If you follow my career, you will find a lot of depressing stuff. I, I do very dark stuff for some reason. I, I always end up. With, I love the dark stuff. I was a big fan of Edgar Allan Poe. My mother was worried for me at a young age. But this this has a happy ending. So you were all over New York streets. We were everywhere. Good lord. But you, as you say, it's really Joel at the height. So, you know, Beyonce can close down a the street budget, today. The budget for this at the time, and that was used, was about $250,000, which was massive for a music video at the time. Oh, I love hearing different budgets from different eras for things. <laughs> kind of mind-blowing. Now you're lucky if you get 5000 Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, so a lot of kids shoot music videos on their iPhones. Mm-hmm. And so this is taking him through his, like, what would he's missing. Right. It shows goes. him what he's missing, what could have been, what so never cool. was, what never would be if he uh, if he died. Right. Presidential Medal of Honor Award. That's really cool. Uh, I love this video. You guys should definitely check it out online when you get a chance. It's like prime 80s, but with a solid message. And Billy Joel's in a trench coat like an angel of death. It's really dope. And ironically, there's a guy in this um, that you'll see him running here. You see the... Uh, yeah. He's the guy from Mythbusters. <laughs> <laughs> I found How out did years... you figure it out? Somebody told me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Thank you, Booth, for good with the video. That's amazing. Uh, go back and find Mythbusters uh, Easter eggs in here. That's really cool. Um, so tell us about some of the other music that we're saying before we started the show. That you've also done music videos for Aerosmith. Yeah, I've done I've done a, I've done a couple of music videos. I do, did one for Aerosmith. I did a music video for um, for Johnny Gill, New Edition. Um, I've done a lot uh, for uh, a lot of smaller groups over the years, and um, I kind of stopped doing them. Uh, I'd say about fifteen years ago because they weren't cost effective. <laughs> but you started doing them out of just a passion for them because you said you were just making them in your house I was making them and then uh, I got this call for, I had sent out a few and I got this call and they said hey you want to come do it so, well, I'm curious as to what you were because I've always had this thought of like well maybe if I just make my own music videos at home then I could entice people but I'm never quite sure like 
was it based on the song and then you're applying it to the lyrics? Were you doing some avant-garde stuff? Just I, You know, at the time, everything was avant-garde <laughs> because now we've reached a point where everything has been done. Mm. You know, you can do a variation on it. At that time, everything was new. So if you came up with something new, I did, you know, I did some kind of offbeat stuff and um, I had uh, a friend who, uh, who, was, uh, who, who was a singer and I, I, I shot that. And it was it was kind of uh, different and unusual. And um, I even did some concepts for uh, some Chicago songs, which a manager had sent to me and said, hey, do the concepts for this. We'll talk about them. It never happened. But what happened was um, uh, they had read the concepts. So through all of this, I kind of got the phone call. I love that. to come do it. I love that. So again, we get this sense of like the new and the exciting, and that's kind of what's drawing you right, into the right. medium. Um, so we talked about music videos. We talked about your first loving of music. Uh, I'm sorry, of movies. Uh, I want to talk about some of your 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 big breaks, your first films. What was the first film where you felt like, man, I am a filmmaker. I have made it. I'm doing this. Well, I, I made um, I made a film called Scared Stiff, which was for the producer of Blood Simple. Oh wow. Um, Scared Stiff was not Blood Simple. <laughs> um, but it was, a, it, it was this big horror film on a small budget. And it actually did really well. Yeah. It went out and, and it made a lot of money. And then because of that, I continued to make horror films. I did a film called Born, which was um, this weird kind of horror film about this pregnant girl. But what's really interesting was... In all, I made a film called Doom Asylum for uh, pennies for like $50,000. Wow. But what was interesting was I was casting people in it who became stars. So uh, in, in Born, I cast Alison Brie. Wow. In okay. her first movie that she ever did. Um, That's incredible. Yeah. She came in out of the blue, and I had told the casting director before, you know, I want to see 100, people, 100 girls because this is going to sink or swim on how good the actress is. Sure. And uh, she came and she was the second person I saw. And I said, cast her, get rid of everybody else. That's incredible. Alison Brie has a, an amazing screen presence. Uh, even when she's playing the kind of meek and timid characters she sometimes get mm-hmm. cast as, uh, she's un- you can't look away from her. She's stunning. Okay, cool. So you, you've made your first success and now you're making a bunch of horror movies. But you've already kind of indicated that what you wanted to do a little bit more of was thrillers. What is it about thrillers versus horrors that you like, and how were you starting to move toward thrillers? Well, it's not that I didn't like horror. I, I enjoyed making horror, but it got to a point that I just couldn't throw the buckets of blood anymore. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. And and a lot of these horror films were not high-end horror films. They were, they were lower-end horror films that were doing well. I made one with uh, 20th Century Fox, which I went to Fox, and I said, I'll bring you half the budget, and you come in for half the budget to home video. And... Um, they said yes. Of course they did. That's they, a they good said, deal. They said yeah. Well, the whole, the whole film was six hundred fifty thousand dollars, and I brought three twenty five, and they came in for three twenty five. But what was really cool about that movie was I said to them, "Put it on." It was the time when DVD was at its height. I said, "Put it on the shelves, the shelf with all your new releases." So, uh, Dark Wolf, which was a six hundred fifty thousand dollar horror film, went on the shelf with. Star Wars and the biggest releases wow. when they came out. So, uh, and people lived in video stores. Yeah. So it started selling through the roof and it became the number one top. Wait, are you saying DVD. that studios had 
uh, control over where the DVDs went on the shelves. In vi- That's mind-blowing. I had no Big idea. Time. Big time. At the time when DVDs were uh, really at their peak and popular, the studios would release the DVDs. And what was ironic was a lot of the movies that they released, they made their money on DVDs. They didn't make them on on theatricals. Yeah. What they would do is they would put it in the theater for a few days and let it run in the theater, and then everybody knew the title, and they'd sell it on DVD. So this was a direct-to-DVD, which Fox had a department for, a direct-to-DVD. Yeah. And um, I said to them, just put it on the shelf with everything else. Nobody had ever heard of it, but it was on the new release shelf, so it sold like crazy. That's incredible. This is such a great lesson for students, especially we, we always try to spend a little bit of time talking about marketing and distribution because it's it's such a vast world out there now and there's so many different ways to distribute. But I think that the lesson to take away from this is like when you go and broker your deals early, like you're like, look, I'm bringing you half the money. You give me prime shelf space. I'm going to return, make sure that there's a solid return on your investment. Exactly. That is an incredible, that is so cool. Exactly. And that's exactly what happened. And that's, that was an, it was incredibly successful for what it was. One thing that I would say to students is be innovative. Yeah. Come up with something special. It's hard to do, but come up with something special. And it doesn't have to be a, a script, mm. but it's got to be a new approach to something. Absolutely. And uh, everything that I've ever accomplished, it was by just being aggressive and coming up with a new approach. It's supposed to be going to be here in L.A. and doing things. Aggression is going to be your best friend. Not angry, but aggressive. Be politely aggressive. Yes, those yeah. follow-up emails, man. They'll get you responses. Okay, so you're having these successes with horror films and straight-to-DVD, which I think is really cool. Well, one of my favorite movies I found in a DVD store before uh, before those went the way of the dinosaur. And uh, it's How to Be a Cheerleader, uh, But I'm a Cheerleader, which is this great indie lesbian film. If you haven't checked it out, it's really good. But it was, it's exactly that same way. It was just eye level on the shelf, had an interesting title. I was curious about it, and it became one of my favorite movies, and I feel like... We can sometimes get that in YouTube now, but man, those video stories, especially if you had a great clerk. Uh, Quentin Tarantino was a video store clerk. I think, um, oh gosh, Twin Peaks guy. Why am I blinking so hard? I think he worked in a video store for a bit. Um, It was where your cinephiles were, and it was so easy to kind of find them. And we get back to a subject that we always come to on the show, which is cinephiles and their love of horror Mm -hmm. uh, films. Where does what films in horror were kind of inspiring you as you were getting into the genre? Um, the Omen. Mm. The Omen totally inspired me. The first one. Yeah. Oh, yes. The first one. Um, I I fell in love with that movie. But you know, it's it's really funny because I I, I loved horror films and you know I I watched a lot of horror films. Uh, the early the early Friday the Thirteenth because I had a friend. Um, Kate Hodder, who played Jason. What really? So, uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I made I made two movies with Kane and Kane's that's a- really cool. We have a, a a post here who was like obsessed with the Jason movies, and she would probably die if she yeah. knew that you knew him. That's so cool. So uh, I watched a lot of those, and I watched a lot of the slasher films, and uh, c- c- just because they were fun. Yeah, hell yeah, they were fun. But at the same time, paralleling that, I was watching all these thrillers and. Uh, I'm going, wow, that's what I really want to do. Mm. Um, so, okay, I want to talk a little bit about 
I want to talk about uh, trying to figure out the right order to do things. We've got two major subjects to talk about. Let's let's talk really quickly about directing these actors, these young actors you're getting before they become famous. These not quite yet stars. Uh, let's watch the trailer for uh, Can't Be Heaven because you have a young Michelle Trachtenberg who is one of my favorite people in this movie. Um, and I'm, I'm curious as we're watching if you could talk to us a little bit sure. about what it is like directing people who who have the talent but maybe are not. Uh, as experienced and refined. Well, you know, it's very, it's, it's very interesting because when you, uh, when you work with kids, if you choose the right kid, it's easy. They do all the work for it's, you. They do, they do everything for you. It's easy. And you know, a lot of times, these kids are so precious. Yeah. They, they just kind of leap off the screen. I came to take you to breakfast. <laughs> he, he had never done anything before. He had never done anything. Most of the kids in this had never done anything except Michelle, who was at the same time shooting. Um, was it know, Harriet the Spy? Harriet the Spy. She does look that age, yeah. yeah. But Michelle was, you know, she was right on. And I worked with this this other girl that uh, and in the movie Halfway to Hell, which I did recently. And she would come on the set and she would tell me what to do. She was just, <laughs> she was unbelievable. And you know, I get a lot of questions from students. They'll ask me, um, "How do you work with kids?" And I go, it's a lot of it's casting. And then be real. You know, mm, kids can sense fakeness a be mile real, away. Be real, be honest with them, and tell them what you want, and you get it. It's, it's a lot less baggage than adults. I did a film um, about a kid who was about to transition, and it, I found the same to be true. We auditioned like, maybe 50 kids. It was mm-hmm. exhausting. Um, and it was just like, it's just a start. Like, a lot of times you're auditioning hundreds and hundreds of people. Um, but I was exhausted after like 50. I was like, why can't yeah. we find this kid? And we finally had this mom call, and she's like, well, I'm not. I'm not sure, but I can bring him by. He's a little older, and I was like, I don't care. Like, just bring it. And he's he made the job. He would come in every day with suggestions. He had research. Like, no, yep. he, he was like, he was like, I talked to my friend about it, and you know, she said things kind of happen this way. And and their enthusiasm and lack of fear kind of sometimes overshadowed the the adults. He also be like, well, I don't know. Should I do this? How do you feel about that? I I can maybe try this, but I'm not sure. But he was just constantly gung-ho and he willing to try anything. And I think as a director, there's something so exciting about that, about coming to that energy on set. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. A- I've done a lot of movies with kids and um, I will jump to a movie with kids because I like working with them. In fact, I just came up with another idea, which I'm thinking of developing. I'm excited. With kids at the circus. <laughs> That's really cool. Um, let's um, take a look at your latest film, which is uh, Christmas Eve, which is a thriller. We've kind of been dancing around the subject of thrillers, but this looks really exciting. I want to see the trailer. Santa Claus there is your trigger man. Says he didn't do it. <laughs> Just another Christmas Eve, huh? New price, 10 grand, and it's not up for discussion. There's no going back now. We don't exactly need Santa's after Christmas. So where does that leave me? I'm not chopping her up. See, this is why I hate hanging out with you, Dave. You never want to have no fun. You know how fast you were going? Could have killed somebody. What are you doing here? I just wanted to say... Merry Christmas, Mom. You didn't even ask about him. Just because you won't let me forget what I did wrong doesn't mean that I don't spend every day wishing I could change it. Hey, Daddy. 
Oh, hey, kiddo. When are you coming home? What do you do with the money anyways? Why are you having me waste your beloved? Are you really Santa? You don't look like him. How long has your daughter been? Sick. Four months. And despite your contempt for me, I wish you loved me the same way I loved you. When I told you I loved you, it wasn't bullshit. You want to kill me? I don't think Sleeping Beauty's gonna wake up from that one. You could just walk away. Drop the weapon! Drop the weapon! Put your hands up! Let me see your hands! No! Oh my it's God. Christmas. Everybody's miserable at Christmas. <laughs> uh, I love I love the taglines in there. All is not Ryan and the play on Christmas music and and it seems to have a really strong blend of uh, comedy amongst this very dramatic it does. background. It does. I mean, it, it, it's it could be likened to if you know the film Crash. Mm. It's crash on Christmas Eve, but it's it's a lighter crash. I wouldn't say light. I'd say lighter. You know, it doesn't deal with the social issues the way. Um, that might be a good thing. Crash. crash I don't know does. if they handled that so well. Yeah. I really, I really appreciate the family aspects that seem to be playing out mm-hmm. in this film, um, especially in this day and age when families are uh, blended very differently than the traditional like uh, um, nuclear family. We, we've kind of evolved, and so seeing how those families work. Or don't work, uh, I think is always really interesting. And especially against the backdrop of Christmas, which is always supposed to be the the sunny, kind of beautiful, Chris White snow is how Hollywood traditionally portrays it to us. But this is a very grungy, dirty it, streets. It is. And the, and the whole score from beginning to end is Christmas carols. Oh, yeah. Everything is Christmas carols. All I the love characters that juxtaposition. Have themes, yeah. A dark Christmas carol. We've darkened them, but it's Christmas carols. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us what brought you to this project. It's interesting because I'm always looking for the next thing I'm going to do. And um, there are two websites on the internet. One of them is called Inktip, and the other one is called Simply Scripts, where writers, um, Writers Guild writers, non-Writers Guild writers pay to put their scripts up there. And uh, producers, if you're an established producer, you can go up there for free as long as they approve you. Give us those names again, Inktip. Inktip, I-N-K-T-I-P dot com. And the other one is simplyscripts.com. Write it down, guys. Write Get it, your voices write it, out there. Write it down because you can make some. You can find some great scripts and make some great deals on there. Uh, the last three movies that I did were all off of one of them. Wow. So, um, so I, I always go up there and I download a bunch of scripts. There, a lot of them, times they were organized by genres, mm-hmm. and I download scripts and I read the scripts and. Um, if I find something I like or that could be developed, I, I'll call the writer. And uh, in this case, it was two brothers that live in uh, Plymouth, Massachusetts. Wow. And um, I make them a deal which they can't refuse, where they get a great credit and they get a feature film made. And um, it's, a, it's a great way to make a movie. And it's a great way 
for new filmmakers to make a movie. It sounds like it. I know um, usually the problem is just getting your foot in the door. And while YouTube and the Internet has certainly offered us a lot of opportunities where we can make movies on our cell phones now and all kinds of options, I honestly think that for people who are like, I just want to write, I have no desire to be out there shooting. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't want to do casting. It's a ton of work to make a film start to finish, which is what you have to do when you work in YouTube spaces. Um but this, if you're just a writer, is a really great way to get your voice out there and find contact information and, and, and get a film like a film is made. No, no, it's great. And the thing about it is a lot of times writers are hesitant to put anything up there because they say, well, everybody can read my script. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, you don't have to put your script up there. Um, you can put a synopsis and they can contact you. But most scripts are up there and you don't really get hurt. I mean, I've never seen anybody... Or heard of anybody get, getting their script stolen or anything. And Email most, your script to the yeah. Library of Congress. There's a full page on exactly. there of how to do it. So that if somebody does steal your stuff, you can just sue the pants off of them. Because it's your work and it should be protected. Um, but it's really simple research. And it's like, I think, 25 bucks or something like that to get your script protected before you send it out there. But if no one's reading it, it's not going to get produced. Absolutely. So Absolutely. You have great casts in this movie, too, like TV stars and, and people who are doing amazing work. What was the casting process like? Um, friends. Awesome. To be honest, um, uh, uh, most of them are friends. Um, Adrian Paul is a friend of a friend who, uh, who read the script and said, I'm in. And uh, he was a coup for this film because he, he's gr- really good in the film. Uh, Narita Bega, who is uh, it's a funny story with Narita, who's the female lead in the movie. She, uh, my friend said, you know, uh, we, we need to see, um, we need to see, uh, the, one of the investors mm. friends and she's coming. And I said, all right, we'll get, we'll find. And he said, we're going to have to put her in the movie. So I said, okay, we'll find a small, <laughs> a small role for her. Yeah. You know, uh, we'll find something small. He said, well, why don't you just read her for the lead? Mm. And I said, she's never going to get the lead. Right. She's the, the friend of the producer. <laughs> she's the friend. Yeah. I, I'm never going to give her the lead. He said, yeah, just read her for that anyway. And we'll, we'll give her something else. She comes in, she blew us away. Yes. She what she had really never done a speaking a scripted role before. Oh. She totally blew us away. And I instantly I said, give her the role. You know, she's got it. And she was terrific in the movie. That's incredible. You never know where you're gonna find your talent from. Absolutely. So if you're good, you're good. Yeah. You know? And that's the bottom line. If you're good, you'll, you'll be undeniably good. People won't be able to deny you for too long. Mm. Um so talk about how did you bring this to NIFA with the industry lab? How did that come about? Uh, what happened was, uh, everybody knows PJ. Yes. So PJ had said to me, uh, I told she knew I was making the movie, and she said to me, why don't you go to Industry Lab? They'll give you equipment. <laughs> and, and I said, okay. And at the time, uh, Craig Ross was running Industry Lab. Mm-hmm. And I went We've up- got Kim Ogletree running it now. Um, if you guys haven't been following along with the show, definitely go back and listen to Kim's episode. She tells you all about Industry Lab and what it is. She's terrific. She's amazing. Definitely. She's terrific. Um, and I'm going to do it again with her. Oh, but, fun. But um, so I went to a, I, I went to Craig and he said, we'll give you every, we'll give you the equipment. We'll give you everything. Um, if you can use some knife of people, that would be great alumni. That would be mm. terrific. And he said, it would be great if you can use it. Uh, one is a DP. So I, uh, I said, sure, let me see what I can do. And he started sending me reels of alumni DP from the film Academy. And I saw some really good ones, but n- nothing that really bowled me over. And yet, and then he sent me one, uh, Igor Pavlatsky. We had Igor on the show too. Did you really? Yes, Igor is amazing. Igor was amazing. Yes, Igor was the best DP I've ever worked with. He, his, his 
I would ask him a question, and he would always be like, "It's just about the story." I'm like, "Do you have a favorite character?" He's like, "Well, what's the story? How do you? Would you ever use Joe? What's the story?" And I was like, "Man, that's the kind of DP you want in your corner because he's a guy who's willing to try anything, do anything, as long as it's benefit of the story, which can sometimes be challenging. You know, there are artists sometimes they're like, "I have a very strict vision. I I know how I like to use lights, and that's cool, but it's limiting as a director. You want people with lots of ideas, so Mm -hmm. that's so cool. I had no idea. He's got great ideas. He's committed." And you know, to all the DPs out there, if you're if you're up and coming, you should take a lesson from Igor because mm-hmm. he he really he's committed to what he does. He forced me to meet with him numerous times before, <laughs> um, which was great. Which was great. He would come on the set, and his lighting was a uh, five minutes into it. He'd go, "Camera ready." <laughs> That's wonderful. That's exactly what you hear. He was great. Is he going to do your next film? Yes. Or you guys not sure? Oh, yes. yes. I'm excited for it. We'll have to bring you guys in as partners yeah, so we can talk about absolutely. that working relationship. Absolutely. Wonderful. Okay. So the movie's exciting. It's well cast. You teamed up with Naiva. You got Igor Pavlovsky shooting it, which is wonderful. Um, I want to know, when does the film come out and where can people see it? Okay. Here's the deal. There's two ways of making indie films. One way is to make it um, is to make a distribution deal in advance, which is sometimes difficult to do, but sometimes doable. I could have made a distribution deal in advance for this. I didn't want to. Um, or the second way is to put it out in festivals and let what's going to happen, happen. And that's what we're doing with this one. Oh, exciting. So um, we do have distribution if we want um, to put it out, but I would rather put it out in festivals, start at the top and work our way down with festivals and see how we do with that and build a buzz if we can. And I think I, I think we're going to be able to build something. Well, look at your local film festival circuit. Search through. See if you see Christmas Eve. Get on it. This looks like a super exciting film. Um, when distribution happens, if I decide to go streaming, we'll try to share that with you guys so you can find it later because mm-hmm. it looks like a good one. I'm so excited for you. I'm so excited to be back on the show now, which is weird we're just ending this conversation. But I have a lot more questions for you, and especially uh, that dynamic with uh, director, cinematographer. So thank you so much for being with us here today, Absolutely. Richard. Where can the people find you? If they, if they want to find your work or if they want to you know, reach out, is there a good place for them to locate you? Uh, it's pretty much uh, – I have about five films now on uh, on – iTunes on Netflix on uh, on uh, uh, Amazon Prime, so Excellent. you can find you can find anything up there. Just type in Richard Friedman. I'll pop Abs- right up. Uh, you'll see him. Excellent. Yeah, there. Thank you so much for joining us, class. Thank you for coming back here to the Knife Hour to talk with us. Uh, we are actually not sure who our guest is next week, but it's May the 4th, so I'm going to really try to get you guys some Star Wars fun things. Uh, we'll see. Uh, in the meantime, I have been Joel Monique. This is the Knife Hour, and we will see you next week. Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network. We would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.